save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Master Force Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Master Force tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. In times of conflict, it's the people who choose to act instead of hide and fight for what's right. It's the people who provide us with the greatest stories. So if you're looking for stories about bravery, resilience, and action, I'd like to introduce you to Epic, a fiction podcast from Realm. Let Epic be your new HQ for all things action and adventure. Each new season tells a different story of high stakes and near misses. Epic's newest season, Control-Alt-Destroy, stars Firefly's Summer Glau as a video game designer. She discovers that the game she created has been stolen as part of a top-secret project and maybe the only thing keeping the world from plunging into war. Nations are competing for real-world resources within her video game and Team USA hopes that bringing in the designer in secret will give them the upper hand they need. This story is perfect for fans of War Games and Ready Player One and will draw you in even if you've never played RPGs. You can listen to Control-Alt-Destroy and all the other stories of action and adventure on Epic, available wherever you get your podcasts or at realm.fm. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for the video game The Last of Us, uh, parts one and two, but mostly one. A minor spoiler for The Road by Cormac McCarthy, which came out in 2006. Get your get to your local library and read that. Plus a potential spoiler for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania that was revealed in the latest trailer. Be careful. My name is Jason Concepcion. And I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome to X-Ray Vision, the crooked media podcast where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In this episode, we got previously on the Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania trailer. And in the airlock, we're going to be revisiting The Last of Us video game, the masterpiece video game from Naughty Dog, uh, recently remastered uh, on the Sony PlayStation platform. So get that if you're interested in getting involved in The Last of Us stuff. And uh, as always, if you want to jump around, check the show notes for timestamps so you don't get spoiled or you want to hear our theories again and again, you can just jump back to them. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get into it. First up, a little bit of news. This uh, trailer dropped Monday evening after we had recorded our first episode of the week. It is the Ant-Man Quantumadia trailer. The movie comes out February 17th, uh, directed by Peyton Reed, written by Jeff Loveness. Paul Rudd is Scott Lang, Evangeline Lilly is the Wasp, Jonathan Majors, of course, spotlighted as Woo! Kang the Conqueror, uh, new addition Catherine Newton as, as the new Cassie Lang, and uh, William Jackson Harper as potentially Quasar. We're Potent- getting this from IMDb. Uh, yes. I, listen, here's... I, I'm a mark. I don't know what to tell you. I thought this trailer looked great, and I'm very excited. It looks so good. I mean, look... 
one, you got Kang and they fully committed. They didn't give him some weird military backstory. It, we didn't have to see Kang some strange uniform. He's love. wearing yes. purple. He's wearing green. He's wearing boots. He's wearing a cape. Is he wearing a miniskirt? I hope to see it. So currently he's yes. in shadow. <laughs> but it looks like a classic costume. And then not only that, but it's this super weird cosmic tale. And yeah, that PR the email they sent out was really interesting because it confirmed that William Jackson Harp is playing this character called Quaz, which a lot of people are saying is Quasar. Also, we got David Dashmalian, who is going to come back, but not as Kurt. He's playing a character called Veb. I think we see Veb and Quaz and then this other character that they announced uh, called Gentora. I think we see them in the first trailer. They're three people that kind of stand there. Veb, I think, has this glowing head. That's my guess. So you're getting really weird stuff. You're getting great returning cast members. And that's before we even get to Modoc, who... Modoc! <laughs> you know, the, the mental organism designed only for killing. He's here. And it looked yeah. like, I thought for a minute, I was like, is that Paul Shear? But it wasn't. It was Corey Stoll. It was Corey Stoll's giant head. I love that wrinkle. Little surprise they left the maskless frame in the yes. trailer as a reveal, but I love the fact that Corey Stoll sucked in to the quantum realm is still there, still around, still doing evil uh, Corey Stoll shit. That's definitely what it is. I think a lot of people were wondering when the rumor started going, oh, it's Corey Stoll, he's going to be playing MODOK, you know, uh, his alter ego in the comics is George Tarleton. People were like, oh, they must be recasting him. He's a great actor. It's kind of like Gemma Chan going from Captain Marvel to Eternals and being a new character. But no, I think you are correct. I wrote a piece of IGN yesterday about it. I think that Yellow Jacket, as we saw at the end of Ant-Man, gets sucked in and kind of mangled to this yeah. subatomic size. And I think that's likely why his head is this giant size. I think it might be part of one of the only parts of his body that's left. And we see him sitting in the, the famous Modoc chair so and then great. we get, get uh, that shot that we'd kind of had teased from some toy leaks, of course, the ultimate spoiler location of Modoc in some kind of battle armor, which is very interesting because that doesn't really exist in the comics. But yeah, this is... This movie is going to be absolutely wild. It's going to be absolutely wild. Here is what I think is pretty easily gleaned from the trailer. Seems like, so Scott obviously uh, disappeared in the snap, returned in the blip five years later, saved the world as uh, part of the battle against Thanos, uh, but lost five years raising Cassie, who we see being released from prison and has gone maybe on a on a kind of darker, more criminal-minded path. I wonder where she gets that from, Scott. <laughs> okay. And so Scott probably thinking, God, I need I wish I had that time back. I could have raised Cassie right. I could have done a better job by her. Um, then comes this message from the quantum realm. They get sucked in there. And my guess is Kang. Kang just wants out. Kang has been trapped in there for this version of Kang, you know, the Conqueror, has been trapped in the quantum realm and can't get out and needs Scott's help getting out. And in return for him getting out, he will, I guess, return Scott to a, to a, yes, a timeline where the snap time. didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's unclear. What is very clear is that, uh, you know, Janet Van Dien, played by the icon Michelle Pfeiffer, Yes, has a, she has a history with Kang. 
I like to imagine that they had a romantic in quantum entanglement while she was there. But we see her, you know, she's she's talking about how she kept this secret. And we see her hiding something that looks a lot like the rings that we saw Fastos making in Eternals and the Ten Rings from Shang-Chi. So it's going to be some kind of artifact. It could be connected to the Ten Rings. It could be a different version of them that it seems like Janet hid in the quantum realm while she was there. And we're going to see that classic Ant-Man heist story coming in again, which is always the way. Every Ant-Man movie, you've got to do a heist. And I think it's very fun to imagine where that would go. I... I'm interested to see how they sell the emotional journey of of Scott being willing to do something terrible to get this time back, because I don't know if it aligns with how I see him. But maybe that darker road that Cassie went down, maybe that's the thing that he wants to change. And that would be a believable arc. But yeah, I mean, this thing looks bonkers. And one of the weirdest things about it is they're pulling all these characters, Gentora, uh, Krylar, Krella had like one appearance and and they're pulling these characters from really weird, incredible Hulk storylines. So I'm very interested to see if that's something that's going to come up. That's what I was going to say. This really is the Incredible Hulk enters the microverse. Exactly. Story. Basically, it's the Hulk gets sucked into the microverse where he, he falls deeply in love. As always. Gets, as all as he always does when he goes to another realm and gets you know, ensnared in this microverse war that he then has to fight in, yada, yada, yada. But it feels like that's yeah, well, kind and you of what know, they're doing here. There's a direct connection to that because Krylar, his first appearance, was during that uh, microverse event in Hulk 156. Mm. And Gentora, who we know is going to be played by Katie O'Brien thanks to the PR blast that came with this trailer, that's... Uh, that's Jarella's niece. Jarella is the person the Hulk fell in love with. So yes. it's very Deep, interesting deeply, to see deeply, them. Deeply in love. Yeah, like it's very interesting to see them pulling from this microverse stuff, which is also like this very interesting controversial stuff because later on the microverse would be connected to the Micronauts, which yeah. Marvel no longer has the rights to. So it becomes this very kind of fun, weird, deep cut history moment. But I'm interested to see, there is actually an issue during that microverse arc in Hulk 154 where Hulk is microverse size and he crosses over with Ant-Man. And it has like a really cool cover where like he's like fighting a rat and Ant-Man's like flying over (laughs) the top of him. So I do, look, Hulk, we saw... You know, Mark Ruffalo loves this character. There's so many cool things they could do with it. I don't necessarily know if we're going to get a Hulk cameo, but I do feel like he's one of the characters that they're really interested in placing into these stories like they did with She-Hulk, yeah. you know, like his role in in Infinity War especially. So, yeah, I'll be I'll be intrigued to see, but I love that they're taking from these weird kind of eras. I wonder if that's Peyton Reed and Jeff Loveness too cuz they're around our age. And I yeah. feel like the microverse stuff, if you're just a little bit older than us or you're around our age and you were digging in the back issues, that is probably something that's like close to your heart. That's like a weird arc. So I'd be really interested to know if this was more of like a a personal look back, kind of like how Jessica Gow was bringing a lot of the stuff she loved from She-Hulk to that story. Yeah, looks absolutely bonkers. Yeah, if anybody has a Marvel Unlimited Yes. Uh, plan or access to uh, old comics. Check out that that Hulk in the Microverse run. First of all, that is, you know, 
it was a very influential storyline. That romance is very influential. Hulk fans still talk about it. And, mm-hmm. and you'll see also the kind of template that, uh, you know, was later followed in some of the great, you know, Hulk crossovers like Planet Hulk. I think Planet Hulk is like, yeah, is built on the bones of the Hulk in the microverse. Yeah, story. the Hulk as a as a fish out of water, not being able yeah. to be that huge, looming kind of singular beast that he's always been. That's been able to help him. That definitely very much travels through those other Hulk events. So yeah, it's really fun. It starts in Avengers eighty eight. I've just been rereading it all today after getting the after watching the trailer. So <laughs> yeah. it begins in eighty eight, and then it's basically like random issues from hulk 140 to hulk 203 so great thing to check out like jason said if you have a unlimited account or if you're just going through and doing some back issue digging because trust me those are some weird issues i'm sure you can just still find them around and about next up let's talk about the last of us this episode of x-ray vision is brought to you by Yuma, the sustainable sneaker worn by skaters and surfers Carrium is reimagining classic sneakers with you and the planet in mind. It's the middle of winter. It's time to get real about layers, lining, everything that's going to keep you warm and comfortable when you head outside into that winter weather. When you leave the park at home, the bestseller Oka is just right. 20,000 five-star reviewers and 70,000 waitlisters, even your favorite celebrities, love this versatile, crazy comfortable shoe. This is Karyuma's new school take on a classic sneaker. Take your pick of durable organic cotton canvas or ultra soft, responsibly sourced suede. Karyuma says cozy shouldn't come at a cost to the planet. That's why they created Katuri and Okatherma, winter boots disguised as high tops. Made with 100% vegan and recycled materials and produced in a way that's ethical and transparent. One thing you should know about Karyuma. They're obsessed with comfort. Even their insoles are lined with vegan shearling. For every pair of sneakers sold, Karyuma's team plants two trees. One, two, tre- count them, two trees in the Brazilian rainforest. Karyuma ships all their sneakers free and fast in the USA and offers worldwide shipping and 60-day free returns. They deliver right to your front door using single-box recycled packaging. And for a limited time, X-Ray Vision listeners can get an exclusive 15% off your pair of Carium Seekers. Go to C-A-R-I-U-M-A dot com slash X-Ray to get 15% off. That's C-A-R-I-U-M-A dot com slash X-Ray for 15% off only for a limited time. X-Ray Vision is brought to you by Viore. Viore is a new perspective on performance apparel, perfect if you're sick and tired of traditional workout gear, that schlubby old sweatpants look that honestly I dabble into, but uh, it's not that adaptable. Here's the thing about Viore. It's all designed to work out in, but it doesn't look or feel like it. It's so freaking comfortable. You will want to wear it all the time. Seriously, it's probably more comfortable than whatever you're wearing right now. Here's the thing. And this is no BS. I'm being absolutely 100% straight up, real deal, holy field honest with you. I'm wearing them right now. <laughs> I'm wearing them right now. I'm wearing the uh, Viore uh, Sunday Performance Jogger in like a burgundy color. The product is incredibly versatile. It can be used for just about any activity like running, training, swimming, yoga, weightlifting, CrossFit, or what about doing nothing? What about taking some time from yourself to just laze around, read some comic books, hang out with your dog, and do nothing? You can do that in Viore, too, and to do it very comfortably. And it's great for the planet. 
VRE is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint. They're also reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 and beyond. They're utilizing better sustainable materials for their products, empowering your best active life. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash x-ray. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash x-ray. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash x-ray and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Okay, we're stepping out of the airlock and into the year 2013 to discuss the video game phenomenon that was, and that is, The Last of Us. Woo! The Last of Us uh, released on PS3 in June of 2013, developed by Naughty Dog. This is their kind of like, uh, they had already made a name for themselves in the kind of like cinematic third-person action space with the Uncharted series, which is absolutely wonderful story about an Indiana Jones knockoff who kills 800 guys in order to <laughs> heist, you know, various, like, gold objects from around the world. Um, and then they come with The Last of Us, which just seemed to knit together, you know, a bunch of strands of things that were kind of, like, in the air at the time. This is, like, mm-hmm. post the banking collapse, uh, still like, uh, you know, post 9-11 era, this kind of uh, post the road, this kind of dystopian story about uh, a middle-aged guy and a teenage girl who he has to escort across the post-apocalyptic wasteland and the kind of uh, the uh, troubles they get in uh, and and the relationship they have. It was to, uh, written by... Um, and developed by Neil Druckmann, who kind of led the development of the game, that directed it, and then kind of designed the writing direction. Um, and I remember this was one of I was an Xbox person, mm. and so this game was one of the reasons that I uh, saved up money in order to get mm-hmm. a PlayStation because uh, I I was watching you know gameplay of it. And, and particularly the multiplayer gameplay, which uh, I was very into at the time. I was like a big Call of Duty Black Ops person. And it just looked it just looked absolutely mesmerizing. It was grittier and and like more in air quotes realistic than mm-hmm. anything I'd seen before then. And then, you know, playing it for the first time, you kind of never there's just it's an indelible experience I, I yeah. it's one of those games where kind of like resident evil but very different where your character the character whoever you're controlling whether it's joel or ellie feels so vulnerable and mm-hmm. that just affects the way that you play the game it, it creates an em- enormous amount of tension it's just a game I, I i really love and i think it's one of the best stories told in a video game of all time what was your experience yeah playing this I, game? I totally agree like this game and god of war those were like two big game yeah. changes for me i'd always been predominantly into fighting games and platformers and i really remember both of these games feeling like oh this is if a platform game was 3d and had puzzles like tomb raider but was also a fighting game 
and you have to learn different combos and different ways to disarm people and you can stealthily creep up on people. And it was kind of, I think about The Last of Us a lot because it is this really interesting cyclical thing. And as we cover this in the show, I'm going to be just talking about this all the time because it kind of blows my mind. So Last of Us is developed in 2009, which is six years after The Walking Dead comic comes out. And the walking, the influence of The Walking Dead on the kind of conception of this game and, and the tone of this game, when you think of the comics, it can't really be uh, erased, you know, because that it's such an unbelievable kind of change in the way we approach zombie storytelling. But the thing that blows my mind is the game was in development a year before The Walking Dead TV show started, yeah. which to me is just so wild because this establishes so much of the tone and the vibe and the emotions that then would go on to become a big part of The Walking Dead. So I kind of see The Last of Us and The Walking Dead as this really interesting cyclical, constantly inspiring each other and taking inspiration from each yeah. other. I, I see it very... I see a lot of the road in it too. The road, I think, oh, yeah. I, I want to say was published in 2006. Oh yeah, and Cormac McCarthy, I mean, uh, that book. Yeah. You know, first of all, it's a, in, in that uh, story, you're talking about the relationship between a father and son, but very similarly, it's like, the, the, you know, the father is the protector of this teenage boy and the, and the kid is mm-hmm. so innocent in a way. We'll, we'll talk about the way Ellie is depicted in this, in this story. It's very much similar. So innocent and kid-like in a way that feels dangerous in that world. Yeah. And I think the other thing that, that really hit, you know, above and beyond the fact that you're talking about this, uh, you know, parent-child kind of construction is, you know, in the road, there's a moment where they get cornered by, you know, one of the cannibals that's that's roaming Spo- the landscape. Spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert, sorry. And the dad shoots the guy. He had one bullet in a revolver and then mm-hmm. wood carved to look like bullets and painted black that he so uh, that he put in the barrel so it would look like he had a full barrel. And that kind of like lack of resources, we've only got one of these, I've only got one lighter and barely yeah. like is um is absolutely integral to the experience of playing The Last of Us in which you're just scrounging around for every, for like pieces of things to make knives, to make band-aids out of, to make health potions out of. To upgrade your gun, you know, like all different things. One thing also I wanted to mention uh, is that while, uh, you know, Druckmann uh, is led the development of the game. There's, you know, there's like hundreds yeah. of artisans and craftspeople that, uh, you know, were uh, worked on this game below the line. You can look up the Last of Us credits, and there's pages and pages of them too. And and they were wild. You know, Druckmann's going to be the headline name. A lot of people worked on this game, and they created an absolute masterpiece. Um, so let's talk about. Let's quick. Let's recap the game. We're going to cover the prologue through uh, the chapter, the cargo, uh, and this game opens with, I think, one of the most effective cold open prologues ever in games because it has to do several things. One, it has to launch your characters, make you care about them, set up the world. Two, it has to teach you how to play the game mm-hmm. on some level. It has to teach you how to move around, what the buttons do, how to interact with objects. Uh, it has to teach you how you, you know, how you move, what the movement speed is, what the things you are going to interact with are. Um, and it does all those things 
in a really pulse pounding way. The year is 2013. We're in Austin, Texas. Uh, Joel, blue collar guy and a kind of like hobbyish guitar player is at home fielding uh, phone calls about work. He's talking about work and it appears he's in the construction business and somehow in some form of fashion, he's talking about a contractor that is either not doing what they're supposed to do or has some kind of gripe. Meanwhile, his daughter, Sarah, is asleep on the couch. It's just a regular night in their yeah, life. Yeah, just a normal, a normal night that in no way kind of hints towards the bleakness of, of what is to come. Absolutely not. Joel is, we, uh, we discover on the phone with his brother, Tommy, uh, who also is in business with him somehow. And, and Joel's like, listen, we can, we can, we'll talk about this stuff in the morning. It can wait. Um, Sarah is out of bed way past her bedtime. And the reason she's out of bed, uh, you know, wearing pajama pants and a T-shirt and sleeping on the couch, the reason she's doing this is because she wants to give her dad a birthday gift. It is a new watch and you're going to be using this watch all throughout the game. It's a new watch with like a military style field strap, a replacement for an old, his older broken watch. And here we get uh, some of the really wonderful uh, voice acting and dialogue with Troy Baker playing Joel, Ashley Johnson uh, playing Ellie. Ashley Johnson, by the way, fun fact, in uh, Marvel's The Avengers, she is the waitress during the Battle of New York. Yep. Who runs out and is like, uh, oh, my God, are the are the Chitari going to kill us all? No, Captain America's here. That is uh, <laughs> Ashley Johnson. Um, Joel says, where'd you get the money for this? Drugs. I sell hardcore drugs. Oh, good. You can start helping with the mortgage then. Funny shit. Uh, then there is some plaintive acoustic guitar music, which we're going to get a lot of over the course of this movie. And Sarah has fallen asleep. Joel carries her to bed. Much, much later. Dead of night. Sarah's awoken by the ringing telephone, and it's Tommy, and he sounds desperate. He needs to talk to Joel. But before Sarah can get any kind of information, the line goes dead, and Sarah rises from bed really kind of groggy and confused, and it's at this moment that the player takes control. Um, it, it's like it's – a, it's a pretty – it's a jarring moment because I think you're not expecting – Yeah. You know, like you're you're hardwired, at least I am, that like, oh, at some point I'm going to be playing Joel. But yeah. like the fact that the first person that you are that you are playing as is Sarah uh, lets you know how this game is going to really interestingly subvert your expectations of video games. I totally agree, because also like when I was first playing it, I remember kind of thinking like, oh, well, I haven't heard his name yet. Maybe this is actually like Ellie's origin. And I didn't know about right. the time jump or anything. So I'm like... Where could he be? What's going on? And what I love about this is like it it has to do, like you said, a really hard job. It essentially has to teach you what you need to know about how to use the buttons, how to move, how to interact, but in a way that isn't an exposition dump. And it doesn't yes. have the it doesn't have the kind of get out of like a I remember with with God of War, they'll just kind of be like, hit this button, hit this button, hit this button. Yeah, and yeah, you can yeah, do yeah. it because you're like fighting a demogorgon or a titan or something. So it doesn't feel odd because you're in that fighting game mood. But here they're still building up to that big horrific reveal and that big kind of tragic cold open. So it's really interesting to kind of be walking around and they want you to explore the room. That's one of my favorite things about this game is it has that puzzle element to it. Like yeah. I, this time... I, I definitely found different things. There's all different things you can interact with, but this was the first time, I think, when I was replaying it for the for the pod, 
where in the bathroom there's a newspaper and when you pick up the newspaper, the newspaper talks about how all these people are getting sick. And there's this bar. And you're like, oh, okay, so this is a world where something weird has been going on, but they never really saw it going this way. Because you don't, right? We've lived through it now. It's like you you think it's going to be okay. And uh, yeah, it's just such an immersive and interesting situation. And it's very smart foreshadowing because it immediately yes. sub- it, it is immediately like, oh, you won't just be playing as Joel. Get ready to play and see this world through a kid's eyes because that's like a large part of, of what you're going to need to do. It also subverts your concept, or at least my concept, of what playing a video game mm-hmm. means. Because I think in a, in in for much of The Last of Us, for like, you know, I, I would say 70% of the game, you're barely playing a video game. What I mean by that is, it, you know, a video game is interactive. Mm-hmm. You're playing as a character, right? But I think the way most of us think of that is you're controlling this, you know, set of pixels, but you're making the decisions. You're doing all the things. The Last of Us is not that. You are on rails. Mm-hmm. You are making certain decisions in moments of action when you're taking on, you know, uh, soldiers or fireflies are infected about how to move through the world, about, uh, you know, like what to craft and how and whether to either kill uh, an enemy or sneak by them. But Joel is going where he's going. Yeah. And you can do nothing about that. Yeah. I there, I think it's one of the most interesting things on this replay is like, I I understand in hindsight, and this is like no one, this is like knowing the lottery numbers after you've already won. So this is not some deep yeah. insight. But like I can see how part of the reason that people loved this and how it got so many new people into AAA gaming is this is essentially a movie yeah it's a movie it feels like you're walking through a movie yeah it's like what if you were in a movie and you could look at some things on the wall or you could occasionally feel like you're making a moral decision for your character but especially in this early stuff you know you will have people there guiding you where you need to go even if you try and go in a different direction and explore something you will end up back on the path that you need to be on because there is a story that the creators wanted to tell and that might sound like it's constricting or you know it it keeps you from exploring the world but that's not how it feels at all and also the reason that in this case i can definitely say that putting you on those rails is right is because the story that it tells is just so great and it has like one of the best payoffs kind of of incredibly compelling so uh as rosie mentioned now the game is asking us, as Sarah, to kind of explore the world for the first time. And, and, yeah. the, and the first piece of this world that we can explore is Sarah's room. And it is a typical teenage girl's room, posters, magazine covers, tacked to the wall. is a boombox. Lots of CDs. It is 2013. There's a little <laughs> TV. Uh, there's a dresser with lots of little personal knickknacks and items and things on it. And on top of the dresser, uh, we see a triangle symbol draws us forward and now all of a sudden we understand okay this is how we read things in this world so you could press it to read it and it's uh sarah's birthday card for joel which she forgot to give him she says ah i forgot to give him this and the cover is uh, a green dinosaur which is really wonderful in retrospect as i was kind of replaying because it's this first suggestion of one of the game's kind of deep 
themes, which is extinction mm-hmm. and life continuing. You know, here's this image of a dinosaur, the, the, uh, this creature that ruled the earth for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of years and died out. And now life goes on, but in a different form. And it and it almost leads you to wonder if Joel, you know, long after Joel and Ellie and Tommy and Marlene and everybody have died out, if the infected create some kind of world of their own. Like yeah. maybe, you know, there maybe there will be something else, some kind of other thing that arises thousands that's, and millions of years after this. I think that's one of the most prescient questions that this game raises. And there's a really brilliant book by Mike Carey uh, called The Girl with All the Gifts, which is very funny because the plot line and arcs of the characters are are very similar to The Last of Us. And they it came out like kind of just almost a year afterwards, but obviously the book had been being written for a long time. Mike Carey's an X-Men writer, just a great guy. And that book basically takes that question and adds this lens of who gets to choose who lives and dies in those situations and what does it mean? And 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 it's so profound and I just cannot recommend that book enough as a companion to the game and the show when you start watching it. And it's one of those, it's like Deep Impact and Armageddon and Volcano and Dante's Peak, but in this way it happened with a video game and a book. And it's, I love that you pointed that out because I think that's such a good get and kind of that interesting notion as well of dinosaurs were terrifying and they were all conquering. They ran the earth and now... Years later, they are on a birthday card. Yeah, a little cartoon. A little cute birthday card. Like, And to imagine how far you'd have to go into the future for the infected to become something that was less scary and more of just like a story people tell is, is really interesting to think about. The overt theme, of course, of the game is love, what you would do for someone you love, how love and selfishness can kind of be the same thing. Uh, and here we get a taste of the of how much Sarah loves her dad. She's written in the card. Dear dad, let's see. You're never around. You hate the music I'm into. You practically <laughs> despise the music I like. And yet somehow you still manage to be the best dad every year. How do you do that? Happy birthday, Pops love. Sarah. Sarah, um, now you can do, you can linger in the room. You can do anything. Mm-hmm. But here uh, we go into the darkened house and Sarah's looking for her dad. She's calling out for him as you move her through the through the empty house. You go into the bedroom. Joel's bedroom is empty. But here, and this game is so good at delivering exposition and little yes. dribs and drabs. And at just the right time here, his TV is on uh, and you get a local news report. Uh, where the reporter is standing on a local street in Austin and is delivering terrifying news. There's some kind of infection on the loose. Those who are stricken are apparently, uh, you know, overcome by uh, aggressive and violent uh, instincts. Uh, Behind the reporter, you see soldiers uh, patrolling scenes of destruction. There's buildings on fire behind them. Uh, Sarah clearly you know, seems to recognize that place. Mm-hmm. She says, oh, that you know, I know where that is. Um, and you see the time, it's 1.47 a.m. And then before anything else can happen, there's an explosion. The building behind them explodes. Uh, and the news cuts short. All of a sudden, there's dogs barking outside, which perfectly leads you to turn Sarah towards the window. And you look out the window, which has this view of some woods and then the downtown Austin skyline behind it. And there's just starting to be fires blooming behind those trees somewhere in the city. uh, And things are starting to get scary. At this point, like, if you're playing this for the first time, 
the hairs on the back of your mm-hmm. neck are just starting to stand up because this is a totally darkened house. And that feeling of vulnerability is one that this game will absolutely weaponize. Um, and you're feeling it right now for sure for the yeah, first time. Absolutely. Sarah goes, yeah, pilot Sarah downstairs. Now there's police cars racing down the street. You see uh, Joel's phone on the kitchen counter, another triangle. You can pick it up. Uh, Sarah goes to pick it up. Eight missed calls, bunch of texts from Tommy, no signal. So clearly that just happened. The fo- the cell phone towers just went down. It's happening fast, whatever is happening. Uh, and you can see from the text that Tommy is racing towards the house. Um, there's a note on the fridge for Sarah. Uh, on the stationery of Sarah's youth soccer team. It says, I'm going to be home late tonight. Go ahead and order fruit. See you in the morning. Dad, um, another nice character note. Just contrast the 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 kind of like loving and warm mm-hmm. writing style of Sarah with, with Joel's very utilitarian note here. No love. Just see you in the morning, Dad. Um, and it... It just it leads you to imagine the regret that Joel surely feels as the rest of this story mm-hmm. picks up decades later. Um, there's a light on in the study, and this game uses light so well because that draws a, our attention again. Um, Sarah walks towards the light, which is, uh, again, Joel's office, and you walk by these sliding doors, and you hear – there's like a strangled sound. I don't know how you would describe yeah, it, but it's, it's like, kind of like half a bark. It's a kind half of guttural, strangled. Yeah. It's horrible. It's the kind of noise where, where if you were in a horror movie, you would say, I'm not going in there. It's the <laughs> nope noise. You're like, no. But she needs to find her dad. She's worried. Yeah, she's yeah. a kid. And it that's another thing that's very smart about this game because it puts you in vulnerable positions, but that take you out of your own comfort zone. Everyone can remember being a kid and creeping around your house and, oh, there's a power cart or you don't know where your parents are. If you've woken up after a nightmare and this opening very much invokes that so much so that I'm sure there were players who were like, oh, I don't want to play as a little girl. But I think by the time you get to this and you're creeping slowly into that room and you've heard that noise, I think everyone at that point is in... You're you're starting to feel the fear. <laughs> so that noise happens, and and you know if you're a player like me, you have Sarah look outside because you're standing right next to a sliding glass door, and the outside, the backyard is completely dark, but very ominously, like there's a tire swing back there, and it's moving, and not like the wind moved mm-hmm. it, but moved like moving like something ran by it. Just as you enter the study, there's another sliding gas, glass door in there. It's open, and Joel comes running, and he's fucking panicked. And he's like, did anyone come in here? Uh, he's immediately goes over, gets his gun from the drawer. He's loading it. He's telling Sarah to stay away from the door. Sarah's like, what's going on? Joel says, the neighbors, the Coopers, they're sick. Something's not right with them. And then before... Anything more can happen. And here is like a scene that feels ripped from 28 days later. Uh, Jimmy, who we met, who I believe to be Jimmy Cooper, their neighbor, but now infected. Yeah. Just crashes through the glass door and Joel has to shoot him. Joel has to has to shoot him dead. Now Sarah is in a state of absolute shock. Joel takes Sarah to the driveway. Tommy's there just in the nick of time. Everybody jumps in and now it's a race. The idea is, it seems to be, um, take 
Highway 71 kind of out of town because the army is setting up roadblocks in order to quarantine the area, probably wisely, so no one can get out. You don't want the infection to spread. But they want to be on the other side of that Mm -hmm. because clearly, like, the infected, it's not like they're just sick in their bedrooms. They're running around doing really bad shit. Um, This is is when you're just like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And this does, and another great exposition, they're in the car. What does that mean? That means they can listen to the radio. So you're getting this information. And what I loved about this that I was doing the whole time when I was playing it this time, you mentioned the, you know, the sliding glass doors and the ability to look out of windows. That's something that blows my mind in this game because there is constantly things going on, whether it's the wind blowing something or a building blowing up or... And when you're in the car, you can, in the backseat as Sarah, just constantly turn around and yeah. look. And I was getting so scared. Like, I would see something and I, I was sure that somebody was going to come and get me. And you can really build up that tension as they're kind of leading you through, like, oh, this is bad. But you're there and you can hear them talking and and you can really just be looking at the... You see people packing up their cars. You see things, like, exploding in the background. You see things running across the road. It's It's wonderful. Uh, about that exposition, we get some more of it now where Tommy is, you know, Tommy's super excited. Uh, he is saying that whatever is happening here, this outbreak, uh, they thought it was just happening in the Southwest, but it appears to be happening all over the country. And that leads you to wonder, like, is it happening all around the world? Sarah asks the question that I think anyone would ask, which is like, are we sick? Is it us? And then Joel, and you can feel his, that that kind of like fatherly impulse to like shield his child from anything troubling or dangerous or worrying. is like, no, 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 no we're fine. Uh, it's just the people in the city that are sick, yeah. not us. We're fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jimmy Cooper uh, worked in the city, He's he mentions. So now uh, it's... It, Letting you know where Joel's head is at. I was going to say, head, they established uh, Joel's <laughs> character right very well. Away. In this moment, yeah, they're yeah, like, don't get it yeah. twisted. This is who this man is. Yeah. So there's a family on the road with kids and they look scared. Uh, and Tommy's like, oh, we should stop. And Joel's like, no, 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 no. You keep going. We're not stopping. Somebody will come for them. You haven't seen what I've seen and we keep going. And here, you you know, again, this is who Joel is. When Joel is with the people he cares about, everybody else can go fuck off. Yeah. He doesn't care. There's a great line that I love where um, Tommy's like, but they have kids. And he said, so do we. Yeah. And that's it. And, you know, Sarah is very hurt by this moment, kind of for a couple of minutes afterwards. She will say, like, we should have helped them. We should have helped them. Yeah. Alas. Probably better for that family that they didn't get in the car, honestly. <laughs> I mean, there's no... Listen, there's no good version. There's no good version. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's zero no good, good version. version, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, t- uh, Tommy runs into the back of a gigantic traffic jam. Everybody who is awake at this time, has been listening to the news, is trying to do this exact same thing they're doing, it's which is nightmare. get the fuck out of town. It's a nightmare. Um, and then right in front of them, as they're wondering, okay, what do we do? Um, somebody gets out of their car to yell, hey, like, what's the holdup? And they are just immediately set upon by infected. It's horrific. They get out of there. Tommy accelerates. Uh, they take a turn and end up, like, on a on the streets of... Like a town that looks like a like a, a a village like on the outskirts of Austin somewhere. Um, there's people running everywhere, and then they get t-boned by another vehicle, and everything goes black. Yeah, I just also want to say before this, there's another really great Joel is like sucks moment, which is like. <laughs> 
they're they're outside like a movie theater and all these people are running like you said and they're kind of stuck and 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 Tom, and he's Joel's just like, like yeah drive he's over just him. like drive yeah. over them he's like run them over yeah, yeah, yeah. and Tommy's like no I'm not gonna do that like I can't do that there's and he's like there's people behind us too and Joel's like I don't care just reverse like just kill yeah. them like you said it it's a tunnel vision of protecting the people yeah. that he loves to the point where he's built up these walls towards everyone else and everyone else like you said can just go get fucked but yeah they t-boned it's all going badly for them and by the way, this is where, you know, we're going to be talking about this all throughout, I'm sure, the show, our coverage of the show and our continuing coverage of the game, because the central question of this story is if you had to give up someone you love to allow everyone else to have everyone they love cured, free of the dangers of this terrible cordyceps fungus that's out there to basically save the world. Would you do it? Um, and the answer for Joel, and you know it from the first minutes you play this game before you even start playing as him, which you're about to do, is no. Mm-hmm. Um, so after we wake up from this car crash, um, we're now Joel. We've we've uh, the player is taking control of Joel, and uh, we crawl out of the wreck and are immediately attacked by an infected. Uh, And here again comes the uh, tutorial portion of this cold open. Uh, You're told you can hit the square button to kind of like get the infected off you. You kind of like hammer that square button. This is another kind of like uh, 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 thing that people who played the Uncharted games would be familiar with Mm -hmm. this kind of mechanic. And again, I'll point out, like, this is barely interactive. This is not, you know, you're not like, you're just like button mashing. This is like barely, Mm -hmm. barely a game. And I mean that in the most complimentary way because it just, it, it keeps you invested by letting you do the most efficient and, like, simple thing. So we realize now it's pandemonium on the streets. Uh, uh, Joel gets Sarah out of the car. She's hurt. Her leg's probably broken. Joel gives uh, Tommy the gun, picks up Sarah, and now we're running. And at this point, I don't know about you, um, Rosie, but at this point, as you're kind of maneuvering through danger and picking away through the crowds with Tommy covering us and you try kind of dodging infected and dodging other people, I'm this is when the first time I played, I started to think, oh, I think this is kind of what the game is going to be. Yeah. This is the game. It's right Resident now. Evil. You have to survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like The Walking Dead. Oh, get out of the city, but you're going to keep coming up against different infected communities but right now it's like you're in that town it's very raccoon city like you have to get out yes. you have to survive um oh how wrong we were uh extremely wrong <laughs> there are lots of horrors to be seen here on this kind of like run to safety wherever safety could be there is like a, a gas station that explodes there's people on fire uh, uh joel sarah and tommy end up in an alleyway um, Tommy has to shoot an infected, uh, and then Tommy ends up they we in, they end up cutting through like a bar with Tommy holding the door against the infected Hodor style, so that Joel and Sarah can escape. And uh, you end up piloting Joel to a wooded path. There's a bunch of crashed cars here, and at the top of the path there is a soldier who helpfully mows down the infected that have been chasing you mm-hmm. and Sarah, but. Something isn't, and you can tell that something is right because the soldier is like, "Don't hold on, don't you stay right there," 
and then confers with someone over the radio to be like, okay, what are we doing here? I've got like two people. Yeah, got it. And Joel knows what's coming. The soldier opens fire. Everybody falls down the hill. Tommy shoots the soldier, putting that threat out. But, uh, you know, heartbreakingly, Joel crawls over to Sarah and she's hit in the stomach and she dies in really one of the most realistic video game deaths in the sense that there's no fucking music. Mm -mm. There's no... You know, there's no text on the screen. She doesn't even finish what she's saying. She just dies. And the voice acting is incredible. The graphics are just troublingly real. And it's a brutal moment. Yeah, I... I... I mean, there's there's so there's so many brilliant little choices that happen before this. Uh, when he's on, when the soldier is on the radio, if, in case you are not as cynical as Joel and you don't understand what's going on, <laughs> he says, "But one of them's a little girl," and yeah. that's when you know. I love this choice. Like, obviously, R.I.P. Sarah. Like, I don't, I don't love that yeah. little kid died. In fact, as a, as I'm growing older, my my capacity for violence is is same is, is lowering. And I found Absolutely this re- the replay of the game is incredibly violent. But I love this choice so much. I think it's the strongest choice until the f- yes. end, which has like one of my favorite kind of moral quandary endings that I love. But I think that the choice to have Sarah killed by the soldiers is like the smartest choice that this game makes because it would have been so easy for her to just die from being killed by one of the infected. That's the nature of zombie games. It gives them a reason to hate zombies or or the infected. The clickers is like, oh, this is really terrible. But instead, it's that horror of humanity. It's like, this is what people will do when they're put in this situation. They won't help you. They'll follow orders and they'll just kill a child. And that se- me- it sets yes. up how angry Joel is. And when you're killing many, many soldiers, as you do throughout this many. game, you're like, you know what? <laughs> they shot Sarah. You're like, this is yeah. okay. Not to mention it's all like really trenchant points. And not to mention that the soldier from a different perspective is doing exactly what Joel does at the end of this fucking game, Mm -hmm. which is kill the thing that is the danger uh, because and making that choice to take lives because this is for the greater good. Now, in terms of Joel, the greater good is the personal relationship that he Mm -hmm. is going to develop with Ellie and everything else and everybody else in the world can fuck off for the soldier. It's if this infection gets out, we're fucked. Like it's terrible for all these people. I, I like. I'm not saying it's. This isn't horrible, but this infection can't get out. No, it can't. I. I love that take because you know what else that is incredibly smart that you've kind of just given me a light bulb moment about is like you. We kill so many people in this game, especially uh, it just it's in the opening. You are trust me. You kill barely any infected in the opening chapters of this game. Yeah. You just kill a lot of people, and it's kind of unbelievably smart and surprisingly empathetic for a game like this in like a post kind of Call of Duty world to begin with the death that is so emotionally hammering and then be like, oh, you have to kill a lot of people. And every time you kill someone, what the game really wants you to be doing is thinking about Sarah dying and how much that ruined you and who 
would be ruined by these people's deaths that you're just so casually causing. It's very smart storytelling. And it it just sets up the kind of bleak tone. And obviously on a narrative level, it establishes like a, a really, really great conflict and an arc for Joel that will go on, yeah. especially when he meets Ellie. But yeah, I, I, I just... I think it's such a good, brave decision to have it be a soldier, a human who kills her. That's always the most heartbreaking version of these kind of things. There's a yeah. there's a brilliant Walking Dead spin-off show that was like a y, a YA spin-off show. I think it was called Walking Dead World Beyond. But um it has a very it definitely took a lot from this because there's a really great storyline about one of the kids coming to terms with killing a zombie, killing a walker. But the reality is that they killed a human and that's yeah. really what they're coming to terms with. And I just think that is the most interesting area to explore in these zombie stories. Nobody, look, we've seen so many zombie stories in our in our lifetime, but what really catches people about this, about The Walking Dead, that nature of humanity and how it responds in that circumstance, that is the story we want to see and i think that's why the that's why the last of us was so affecting because of little choices like this it's maybe the best most effective most impactful for me version of like the classic mm -hmm. zombie story theme which is Actually, we're the monsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, the, like, we the zombies are, the are doing dead. what they. It's yeah, us. yeah. The zombie. Yeah, it's us. The zombies are doing what they do. Uh, they're a state of nature, you know. But we are the ones making the choice to torture each other, to exploit each other for our things, for our mm -hmm. resources, to sell things and sell people to survive. We are the ones choosing to do that. The the uh, the infected are living out there in a very in a state of balance, not attacking each other. Certainly, X-ray vision will be back. X-ray vision is brought to you by Smile Act. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Are your teeth aging you? Popular food and drinks are known to stain teeth beverages like coffee, which I drink by the gallon, and wine, stain them over time. So what can you do to brighten your smile? Well, you should give Smile Actives a try. Smile Actives is safe. It's a big deal. It's going to be in your mouth. Easy to use, and it will keep you smiling proudly. 97% of Smile Active's users in a clinical trial reported up to six shades wider on average, all within 30 days. That's a regular old month. Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? That's what we're talking about, right? Well, before you visit a dentist, which you should do, you should know that their whitening treatments can be very expensive, and it's not just the price. It's the hassle. You have to book the appointment. You have to schedule the time from work. You have to go leave your family and friends and sit in a dentist's office where it's all weird in there and they're making small talk at you and there's bad magazines. It's just it's just annoying. Fortunately, now you can try Smile Actives at home or anywhere, anytime. Smile Actives offers a safe and affordable alternative to those expensive whitening procedures. Simply add Smile Actives Pro Whitening Gel to your regular toothpaste. That's it. That's the setup. How do you use it? Then you just brush your teeth. You brush your teeth like normal. It's been formulated with polyclean technology. What's that, you ask? It's more than uniclean and it's more than biclean. It's polyclean. It's lots of cleaning tech in one formula to boost stain removal and deliver active whitening ingredients into the teeth's grooves and crannies to get better whitening. 
Some products only get the grooves. Some products only get the crannies. Smile Actives is getting the grooves and the crannies. Smile Actives makes a teeth whitening gel that can simply be added to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth. What could be simpler? No change in your routine, no extra time, yet people will start commenting on your whiter, brighter smile in mere days. Smile Actives is the whitening boost your favorite toothpaste needs to give you the smile you deserve. Visit smileactives.com slash x-ray today to receive our special buy one, get one free offer and free shipping and handling. That's smileactives.com slash x-ray. X-ray Vision is brought to you by HelloFresh. You've got New Year's goals and HelloFresh is here to help you achieve them. Why don't you skip the grocery store and take control of your time and budget with delicious restaurant quality recipes delivered where? How about right to your door where you live? If you're looking for an easy way to eat well and save money this year, HelloFresh is a great place to get started. It's cheaper than grocery shopping and 25% cheaper than takeout. With over 35 weekly recipes, they have options you're looking for to help you achieve your goals. Choose calorie smart and carb smart recipes or even customize select meals by swapping proteins or sides, upgrading your proteins or adding protein to a veggie dish. HelloFresh's latest line of meals is fast and fresh recipes featuring robust flavors and filling portions that are ready in less than 15 minutes. You know, sometimes I don't have uh, I don't have time to shop. I'm a busy person, as I'm sure you are. Sometimes, I don't know, it might feel a little fraught to go out in public where lots of people wearing masks, maybe not wearing masks, are breathing and breathing stuff into the air. And maybe you don't feel comfortable. And uh, that's why HelloFresh can be is just can be really efficient, really simple and really easy. And then they have the recipes really good. You can follow them. Sometimes I don't follow them. Honestly, sometimes I just go off script and just do whatever the hell I want to do because they just sent me uh, some chicken cutlets and some nice herbs and I just go off book. And that's okay too. Go to HelloFresh.com slash x-ray to use code x-ray 21 for 21 free meals plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash x-ray 21 with code x-ray 21. Why? Because you get 21 free meals plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. And we're back. We cut to 20 years later and we meet Joel now. He's waking up. He is grayer, uh, obviously hardened by the years that have passed and the loss that he has suffered. He wakes up uh, at a secure, safe quarantine zone in what is still called Boston uh, to pounding on the door. And the person at his door is Tess, <laughs> his hard drinking partner in smuggling and also lover. We can definitely there's something here. These two are almost right. symbiotic in their ability to stealthily move around the city, kill people, and smuggle shit. They they are survivors first and foremost, yeah. and at the moment they survive by relying on each other. But it is clear from the outset that that is not some kind of deep seated trusting, loving relationship. That is the nature of the world that we live in. They have to survive, and at the moment. They are useful to each other to do that. Um, Tess uh, enters. She's got a big new black eye. 
and she's yelling about some kind of uh, smuggling meetup that Joel missed. Joel, Joel kind of like fucked her on this deal. It had to do with pills for ration cards, whatever it was, Tess took care of it. But on the way back from the deal, she got jumped by four dudes who she doesn't say, but who we can guess are now dead. Uh, <laughs> they didn't go well for them. It did not go well did, for them. Because Tess... <laughs> we'll say it now for the first time, is a psychotic murderer. <laughs> she is a mass murderer, and she will take you on a journey at every point. She's like, let's go do this thing. And it really turns out yeah, that yeah, you yeah. are going to have to mass murder a lot of people to do it. <laughs> Maybe that's just the nature of the world, but Tess has a tendency towards being a mass murderer. She will, yeah, yeah. She If, if the thing that she wants uh, is on the other side of a lot of people... Tess will take the path that takes her through the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because that's just who Tess is. And that is something very interesting that the game does that I have begun to see on my replay because I'm coming at it from this more critical perspective. I'm not just like high playing it when I'm like a teenager yeah. or whatever, you <laughs> yeah. know. Like, but like the game sets you up on multiple missions where if you go... Tess's route and you try and kill yeah. a bunch of people when you get further in, you will never survive. But if you can stealthily get around and avoid killing people, you can get through it really easily. And it establishes, and, and there are ways to get through with combat. You can be the badass. You can hit them yeah, with a brick. You can pick those things. It's just really hard. But it's really hard. And I love that they kind of establish the rules of what you think the game are. Oh, you kill people because they're in our way and we need their things. But then they're like, oh, but actually, if you want to try not to kill people, maybe that will be easier sometimes. It's it's very interesting. But yeah, they're after Robert, and that's going to go badly for Robert. Yeah, so Robert, the, these dudes were that Tess probably killed, uh, were sent by Robert, who was a, a former, like, smuggling, partner in smuggling, maybe yeah. like a person they have an dealt with in the past. Like an acquaintance, rather than an ally, yeah. And um, apparently Robert double-crossed them on a deal for a bunch of guns, and Tess wants the guns back. And guess what? She knows where Robert is. He's in a warehouse in Area 5. So she's like, you want to come uh, fuck Robert up with me? And Joel's like, yeah, let's go. Uh, on the way, we get some some of this, again, wonderfully delivered exposition where Tess is telling us that um, seems like more people from the quarantine zone have been getting infected by the mm. cordyceps. Joel, I think, rightly suggests that this is because people have been bringing quarantine. People like Joel and Des have been sneaking mm -hmm. out probably to get stuff. It is suggested, though never really laid out in any kind of detailed way, that um, that the quarantine zone authorities are like it's like a dictatorship, like a totalitarian yeah. uh, dictatorship. There's uh, it, it's hard to understand like what shape that takes certainly because like Tess and Joel have no problems walking around and it seems like they have no problems getting fake IDs to move through checkpoints but you know whatever shape that takes life in the quarantine zone leaves people wanting and certainly it drives people like Joel and Tess to you know go outside the, the law in order to you know get stuff um, which leads me to think of oh I forget the name of the guy uh, he like is one of the uh, philosophers who's uh, responsible for the postmodernist uh, philosophy. But he said something like, uh, "It's much easier to uh, imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism." Mm -hmm. uh, and that 
is on display here because oh. obviously Tess and, Tess and Joel are out here looking for ration cards, which are yep. today's currency. I think that's a really great point because, again, when we talk about the exposition, and also this is a game that is very focused on character. There's a lot of great world building visually because it's a video yeah. game and it has an unbelievable amount of, like you said, artisans, animators, people working on it. But a lot of the stuff that we come to glean about the world in general is much more of that what is going on. And that idea that there are definitely most of the economy within the zone of the quarantine area is a smuggling, bartering kind of culture, which very much heavily leans into capitalism. And we get into those moments later on, especially, and kind of just when we start to explore where there's these kind of brutal curfews. Yeah. And if you don't follow the curfew, you're getting shot. So there's like, we don't know at this point, like, who is in charge? Why is this happening? But we, it's not a good time to be alive. Not a great time. Uh, Tess and Joel, on their way to Robert, try to go through a, a, a certain checkpoint. But on their way through the checkpoint, uh, the checkpoint gets hit by the fireflies, who uh, we have learned through the exposition dump during the credits are a extremist um, militia group who are dedicated to finding a cure for all this. Like mm-hmm. they, it, it, the suggestion, and again, not really laid out, but the suggestion is by their very existence is that the zone authorities are complacent, are happy enough to be ruling this little yep. rump of civilization that's left over, whereas the fireflies. Uh, you know, this cl- ragtag collection of of armed scientists and everyday people who just want to return to the world as it was are actually interested in doing something in order to cure this fungus, to, to, to stamp it out. So they've just attacked and Joel and Tess end up having to go a different way. Um, they go through, a, you know, a building uh, that is part of the smuggling network. Um, we're looking for Robert here now. We start to arm and you start to uh, pick up the stuff that Joel and uh, uh, later on Ellie are going to use in order to, you know, navigate through this world. And for Joel right now and for the player right now, that's just a knapsack to hold scavenged items and a nine millimeter pistol. Uh Eventually, we end up outside the quarantine zone where it is gorgeous. It it's, calls to mind Chernobyl. Yeah. Um, you know, this a place where something horrendous has happened that has driven humanity away, but nature has reclaimed it. It's like beautiful greenery, destroyed buildings. It's my favorite thing about this game, and it's my favorite thing about the choices that they made to differentiate it from what we've seen before. It also fits in with the nature of what you were talking about, this idea of extinction and how the world continues on and life continues, you know, life will find a way, all that kind of stuff. Because, yeah, it's this horrific quarantine zone and the cops are there and the army is there and you can't go through without your IDs and they're basically keeping people prisoner in this space. But... They can't stop the plants from growing. They can't stop the ponds mm-hmm. from bubbling up. They, it's so beautiful and it is just such a nice change from the dark, darkly lit kind of t- tombs that we're used to in, in horror video games. And this does have some of that. Like there is a lot oh, of yeah, spooky. For sure. You've got you to go through a building the tombs here. And, yeah. you've got, and you've got a, a flashlight and you're seeing some cool shit. But it... These moments of beauty and these flashes, they will, 
as you play through the game and as we go to talk about it in future episodes, they lead to some of the most kind of emotionally stunning moments in the game. And I, I love this choice and it makes me, it just makes me really happy. And the remastered version is even more it's beautiful gorgeous. than I remember. It's beautiful. It. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, in one of these ruined buildings, we encounter the spores for the first time. Yes. Tess and Joel have gas masks, which they put on in order to avoid being infected by these spores. I guess it doesn't matter if you get them on your clothes and stuff later. Like, I, you know, like as long as you don't breathe them in, I, I, I'm not going to question yeah, Joel it, and Tess. They've been doing seems, this a long time and the they mask, know what they're doing. You're okay. Yeah. And if the yeah, mask you're okay. breaks, you're fucked, as we find you're out. You're fucked. It'd be interesting to see, uh, you know, when the show airs how sciencey they make that mm -hmm. because clearly i think if you get the fungus if you get the cordyceps on your fucking shirt and then you touch your shirt feels like you're that gonna would have happen. to take it yeah you're gonna have to like decontaminate anyway um so we, we encounter the spores and you see the source of the spores which is like this person who has been you know uh, it, it suffered an advanced infection it's his body seems almost like torn open by mm -hmm. the spores with these like tentacle like uh, things coming off of them. It's almost like a, a melding of plant and and person in this mm -hmm. kind of like a body horror kind of way. Very body um, horror. And there's sort of like it almost looks like fingers are growing out of yeah. random parts of the bodies which I'm assuming are kind of these cordyceps like mushroom fungal kind of situations. It's really creepy and and in those moments you really invoke that Resident Evil kind of dead yes. space, like, oh, what's yes. coming around the corner? But it's very funny because they don't, they let you have it, they let you fight, they they give you a taste, but really you're here to get Robert and that means killing humans. That means that's the, that's the bleakness of what you have to do to survive and to get to the part of the story that is so important. Well, you get to do that shortly after uh, seeing the source of the spores in this building. You find a, you know, some other scavenger who Ooh. is out here. A very, very heavy, apparently like a file cabinet and piece of the wall, I think, has fallen on this person, and now, and now they are infected. And they beg Joel and Tess to just put him out of his misery. Just do it. And now you are given the choice. You are Joel, and you can either kill him or leave him. Uh, I don't know about you, but I put him out of his I misery. Him. But again, yeah. I yeah, because like you know, it's it's not the other way. It's a terrible choice, but the other way is worse. Yeah. And this gives you again of the taste of the kind of moral bleakness that you're going to be faced with as Joel. Um, but Tess is going to be faced with a similar choice later, and unlike Joel, who is us. She has no hesitation and does not think mm -hmm. about it at all. She just does the kill him thing. Eventually, Tess and Joel arrive at like some squalid camp, you know, burrowed into these like narrow city streets. And it is fucking bleak there. There's like there's like bare knuckle fighting yeah, having going bare knuckle on. Fighting. People are trying to fight you. Like if you get too close yeah, to people, they... they're going to push you. Nobody knows Joel. Nobody cares. But they know Tess. Yeah, they, they, Tess has a lot of respect here. Um, Maybe and, a lot of ex-boyfriends, too. Yeah, yeah, it seems know. like she calls some of them like an ex-headache, and I'm like, oh. Yeah. Like, oh. So as we move through here, Tess kind of gets uh, gets uh, a further pinpoint on where Robert is going to be. They move around the corner. Tess bribes a local uh, with some ration cards to get that pinpoint uh, location for Robert. And just as we head off around the corner, here come three dudes. Uh, Robert's uh, 
muscle. Apparently, Robert, whatever Robert is doing out here in in the in the wasteland, he is managing to accrue power. People are following him, uh, and you see that in this moment. Um, and they're like, "You can't go any further." Yada yada yada. What do you want? Tess is like, "Oh, really?" And just shoots the first guy. Yeah, flat out, just like cold blooded executes the first guy. And now you get your first taste of real combat in this game. And you're you're in uh, trouble because now you have to be shooting some people. Because these men right. are armed. And this is, and this is like the kind and you've got, and you've got like nine bullets. Yeah. Uh, so Joel and Tess work together to take care of the other two, um, and then as you move past this, you encounter the rest of Robert's men. They apparently didn't hear what just happened uh, some ways away to their compatriots, and they're just kind of walking around. And you have to sneak past them, maybe choke them out if you want to, bash them over the head, whatever the case may be. But as you're moving through this world, again, with this great exposition, you're getting these little, you're overhearing these little snippets of conversation that paint uh, you know, what the world is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you hear, for instance, um, one of Robert's people talking about uh, the fireflies yeah. and how they uh, seem to be gathering people to them as well, just in the same way that, that, that Robert are doing. And you, as you move through this world, the only thing that you are struck by is, one, how dangerous and how exposed you feel all the time. And the second is Tess is a fucking psycho. Yeah. She is a psycho. She is, she is past the place of being a broken survivor. She is forever changed. There is no going yes. back. Whatever she will, happened to her is bad. She, she will kill anyone. That is yes. her first. You are given the choice. This is when you start to learn how to be stealthy, how to, they say strangle someone. You can say maybe you're just choking them out till they go unconscious. I believe you're probably killing them. But like, <laughs> and you start, you can you can pick up bottles uh, that you can throw to distract people. You can kill people yeah. with bricks. You can there's that you can get you get a shiv at this point, which is very dramatic, right? Um, but Tess will always shoot first, not bother to ask questions later. No she questions. Is, she's ask. been through it. Yes. Finally, we get uh, moving through this uh, this thicket of enemies. We get eyes on Robert, uh, that cocky son of a bitch. Tess says, and then after several other, like about three other, very very bloody fights, and then a squirrely foot chase through the alley, we corner Robert. Guns are gone. He says they're gone. He sold them to the Fireflies. Tess is like, yeah, well, I want them back, and Robert's like. Robert now, again, this excellent voice acting, Robert realizes that because he's of no value anymore mm-hmm. to Tess, he doesn't have the guns, he's probably going to fucking die. He knows Tess. In she's this a alleyway, psycho. it's going to happen. Yeah. It's going to happen right now. He's gone from this guy who is like a budding warlord, you know, like gathering strength to about to get fucking done on the ground in an alley. And so he's desperately begging for his life by basically pitching like this crazy adventure. Hey, here's what we do. Uh, we, You know, us three, I'll get you in to meet the fireflies and you kill them. And then you take the guns back and we're good. Right. And then <laughs> Tess is like, no. And she just fucking shoots him in the head. He's yep. done. Uh, Tess and Joel. Really more Tess, but Joel's... uh, Joel's along for the ride. Joel's along for the ride. Now, this is interesting. So Tess is like, I still want the guns. And Joel goes along with it. My read on this is 
Joel died 20 years ago, and he doesn't care if he dies yes. now. This is dangerous. The, I think every right? day for Joel, every day for Joel is the worst day of his life. Yeah. But he's also absolutely numb to it. I think it's very interesting how they have him miss that drop because it opens up yeah. so many questions the first time you play what it. You're was like, he, yeah, what, what was he day doing? is it? Yeah. Like, was yeah. this a especially bad day for him? Was this an anniversary? Was he just wasted? Like, was he so yeah. out of it? And and he doesn't care. And I think he doesn't care. It's every day is like, if this is the last day, then fine. Fine. Okay. You want to do some crazy shit? We're going to take on the Fireflies who we just saw launch a devastating attack on like armed soldiers in the zone. Yeah, sure. Like, yeah, go for it. Why not? So um, as they're discussing having to meet up with the Fireflies some way, somehow, uh, you know, in a wonderful stroke of luck, uh, the Firefly leader in the quarantine zone, Marlene, who has been wounded in one of the fights that uh, took place, you know, couple of minutes ago, uh, staggers up and she says, I can get you your guns back, but you have to do a job for me. And Tessa's mm-hmm. like, OK, you know, how many ration cars do you need? What do you need moved? And she's like, no, 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 no. A smuggling job. Marlene needs them, apparently, Tess and Joel, because one, all the people they were going to use, they just killed. Mm-hmm. And two, Despite the fact that the fireflies look pretty punchy uh, in that recent attack on the on the um, checkpoint, they're getting ground down. At least in the quarantine zone, the fireflies are, you know, almost used up. She says that the zone authorities apparently needing a scapegoat for how shitty things are in the zone. Like they just want to take people's mind off of how shitty things are in the zone. And therefore, they launched this attack on the Fireflies to just kind of like have an enemy that's out there that they can – the people can blame things on. They initiated the hostilities against the Fireflies and the Fireflies are on the losing end of this. We're trying to defend ourselves, Marlene says. So now it's Joel, Marlene – and psychotests sneaking their way past very, very heavily armed soldiers. And again, you're getting this. It, the game is introducing you to the various enemies in a really, in really wonderful fashion uh, to get to the firefly holdout base. Marlene is gut shot. She's barely on her feet. And she leads them and Tess to it looks like a schoolroom or what do you think? Yeah, I, I'm I not sure what this room out. is. It- It's very unusual. And the fact that she needs Joel to help her open the door, not just to help us, you know, test that we can open a door with a triangle. It's a very heavy door. I wonder if it's some kind of locker or cooler or it's something. But but it does look like at one point there was some kind of classroom or or base there that people were were teaching in. It's very interesting. And obviously, this is like a huge moment because this is this is where we meet Ellie. Right. So this is. This is the cargo to be smuggled. We meet Ellie. She is behind this door. Um, Ellie, seeing that what a bad state Marlene is in, is concerned. She's like, oh, my God, are you okay? And it's a jarring moment because it's the first time since Sarah. So I don't know. You know, your mileage may vary, but for me, maybe like three hours of mm-hmm, gameplay or something mm-hmm. like that, three and a half hours. It's the first time in three and a half hours of gameplay that you've met a character who cares about someone else yeah, in a way that is not toxic, a person that is not related to them, just a person, just showing kind of like care for a person who's hurt. Not a thing that Joel or Tess traffic in anymore. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's such a good moment as well, because like, it's not, it doesn't, the moment that we meet Ellie is so well established because 
the first thing she does when she sees Marlene coming through the door, she like pulls out a knife and is like, she's to ready. Joel and Tess, she's like, get the fuck yeah. away from her. Like, this isn't someone that she's even particularly that close to, but she sees someone's injured who she knows and she sees two strangers and she's ready to mm-hmm. fight, but that doesn't take away any of her empathy or compassion for Marlene. She's just trying to protect her. It's the opposite of what we've seen from Tess and Joel. And it's a, it's a really great moment where you kind of get to learn so much about this kid and it opens up this intriguing mystery of how would they know each other? Why would the cargo be a little girl? What's going on? It's also a very interesting moment from the perspective of Joel, considering like where this story goes. You I I guess because, you know, I'm so familiar with the game and I've, you know, I've recently played The Last of Us 2 sequel that had come out like like a year and a half ago or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, 2020. I, I kind of expected it to be more of a a moment that lands and they really just kind of throw it away. It's almost oh, yeah. like a nothing. Like Ellie shows up and it's Joel like... Joel has like no reaction they, to it. He's no just No like, reaction to it. He doesn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's completely dead inside. And Marlene is like, okay, here's the job. You take Ellie to a group of fireflies that are waiting um, at the state house. State house is in Back Bay. They're currently like in the north end. So like basically across the city. Uh, and Ellie's like, what? I'm not going. Who the fuck are Who these is this people? guy? Yeah, what what Tess meanwhile is not about to do jack fucking shit until she sees the guns. Do mm-hmm. they exist? I thought you were taking me to see them. Where are they? And now they don't exist and I have to do this thing and now you can't So Marlene's like, "Yeah, I'll show you the guns, Tess. They're at the Firefly base. Um but we can't all go there because it's too dangerous for Ellie to be on the streets. We will eventually find out why." Uh, Ellie is so prized, but it's too dangerous a trip for her to make what we will go, you and I will go, uh, and Joel, you will stay with Ellie and watch over her. And Ellie's like, and, and take her to the to the Fireflies. And Ellie's like, that's nah. fucking crazy. Like, <laughs> what? She's like, I'm not going with this how stranger. Do you, how do you know these people? And then we find out how. Mm-hmm. Tommy... Brother Tommy, Joel's brother Tommy, is apparently a former Firefly. His whereabouts currently unknown. And clearly he vouched for Joel once upon a time and also very clearly his word. And that vouching carried a lot of weight with Marlene considering, again, how how much hinges on Ellie surviving. Um, And I had – I wondered in this moment, like, did – Tommy tell Marlene about Sarah because why else would Marlene do this? I think it's a yes. I think they, in this moment, there's so much tension and frustration and history in Tommy joining the Fireflies. Uh, You know, Joel is horrified that he joined this militia group or he's upset or he feels rejected. He mentions it to Marlene. Marlene and Tommy were obviously close enough that she trusts him. I believe... Tommy told her. And I don't believe that Marlene is coming into this with some like, he had a daughter, he'll care. I think it is, she probably hopes that's the case, but I think it's a more cynical approach of, well, I know his loss, so perhaps this is like something that he will, I can exploit it and maybe he'll do something good for a change because of it. I I think Tommy told Marlene. Right. I think he said something to the effect of, hey, I know somebody who 
doesn't care whether he lives or dies and is a really badass person moving through this world mm-hmm. who I think would react in a deeply loyal and emotional way to yeah. this girl, Ellie. I think he said something like that to her. Ellie, of course, is unsure and we we can understand from the way she talks and the way she's responding now that she's not not scared of anything in a way that I think because of her age, you are like, that's dangerous for you to not mm-hmm, be scared of anything. Mm-hmm. Like, but she's fierce. Um, and very wisely, she, you know, she would say, like, I don't know this fucking guy. Mm-hmm. Who the fuck is this guy? You're going to send me off alone with this fucking guy? I don't know. Um, but Tess is like, hey, and Joel clearly is not wild about it either. No. Like, I think he sees Ellie in this moment as like a weight. That would, mm-hmm. yeah, that would hold she's him the down. albatross it, it, around his neck. He doesn't need that. Yeah. He doesn't need the emotional connection. He doesn't need a kid. It's. Mm-hmm. I find it very interesting too, because when you think about the time jump, what you're talking about with Ellie is somebody who grew up only knowing this world. Only knowing this. Yes, that's such a great point. I I find that so interesting, and I can't wait to see how they explore that in the show. But yeah, it's it's very intriguing, and neither of them are that interested. But of course, the game goes where the game want, goes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and, and of course, Tess wants those fucking guns back. Mm-hmm. She needs them back, and she wants to see them. So she's like, "You just Joel, just fucking do it. Take her to the North Tunnel and wait for me. How hard could it be?" Uh, and Joel and Ellie head off, and thus begins that part of the tale, which we will pick up at a later date. Uh, incredible game. Wonderful game. Yeah. There's a lot of great things to read if you want to read more about this game that were that were written in the time that it came out. Uh, I think of uh, Tom Bissell's Truish Grit on Grantland, uh, which is a place yeah. that I used to write for. Um, here's a quote from that. I played through a chunk of The Last of Us in the company of a talented professional level designer. It was instructive. The game opens in a little girl's room. My level designer friend walked around the space, impressed first, foremost by the convincingness of his character's sleepyhead animation set. Then he began to point out art assets that seemed to him particularly well made. That, he said at one point, is an amazing fucking beanbag. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's just an incredibly immersive game. Um, the New Yorker wrote a, a a really cool piece about whether The Last of Us can become really the first high-quality video game adaptation mm-hmm. in history in either film or uh, the television space. I guess, you know, the, you're, I, I don't know how people feel about, you know, the fucking Assassin's Creed or some of these other yeah. adaptations that I are think out it's, there. It's, but, the, it's the cultural agreement that we have made is that video game... Adaptations rarely live up to the video game. Uh, and I'm excited to cover the uh, the television show, Rosie, and to see how tightly or loosely it hews to the story and arc of, of the original game. I think you'll find some, uh, for those of you who end up reading the New York article, there's some cool tidbits in there mm-hmm. about how um, Craig Mays and showrunner kind of designed the show's episodes as kind of video game levels where it's like you go to a place you meet some characters and then you go to another place in another episode and you kind of leave those characters and places behind. Uh, fascinated to watch the show. I can't wait. Yeah, I mean, we're in a really interesting place because this show currently has uh, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Damn. And that is reviews from everywhere from IGN, you know, which gave it an almost perfect score to like The Hollywood Reporter, all these different kinds of people who are enjoying this adaptation. I saw lots of kind of 
things that could have sounded hyperbolic, the idea that this is going to be the first smash hit of the year for HBO. But from people's responses, it really sounds like they've managed to capture something about the game that was so special while still making it accessible to people who haven't played it. So we could we could be getting, this could be our first widely recognized prestige video game adaptation made in America. So I, I'm very excited and I, I can't wait to talk to you about it more. Yeah, we'll be continuing our coverage of The Last of Us, both the game and the show here on X-Ray Vision. And that's it for us this week. Uh, Rosie, anything to plug? Plug, 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 plug. Uh, you can find me the usual places, Instagram, uh, Letterboxd. I'm Rosie Marks. If you're interested in our man and the Wasp Quantumania, I had a big Modoc explainer go up on big, IGN, big, big. which was so fun. And I put a little theory in there, kind of building more on what me and Jason were talking about today, about Yellow Jacket and his role in the movie. Uh, I've got some cool stuff coming out at other places, Primetimer, Nerdist, uh, the usual spots, Den of Geek. I have a big Den of Geek cover story coming out soon that I can't talk about, but it will be out soon. I did some cool coverage of Willow. The final episode is out today. Uh, that's a lot of fun. So yeah, just just all good stuff. And I love all bad video game movies. So I've written quite extensively about many of them. <laughs> Catch the next episode of X-Ray Vision Wednesday, January 18th. Because remember, we're now dropping episodes two times a week. That's twice the deep dives, Wednesday and Friday in your podcast feeds. Also, if any of you caught the Golden Globes, yes, that's right. The Golden Globes are back. They're not racist anymore. Uh, and they've solved all their problems. They are back. And you saw Kei Kwan's heartfelt speech. Uh, and maybe you have or have not seen uh, everything everywhere all at once. First uh, point of order. Watch everything everywhere all at once if you haven't seen it. And then listen to our episode uh, featuring an interview with the film's directors, the Daniels, uh, because they are so creative. And that movie is just really, really great. It's really incredible. Michelle Yeoh won too. I'm hoping that this is going to continue through awards season. And that was just such yeah. a delightful chat. I'm ready to see it. Angela Bassett won for Black Panther. So we're, we're getting go. some some of our faves have been yes. winning. Don't forget, subscribe to the show on YouTube. Follow XRV Pod on Twitter, where we are always retweeting cool stuff, re responding to your amazing tattoos. That was something yes. cool that we got to do recently. <laughs> uh, and of course, check out our Discord to meet and hang out with a bunch of our rad listeners. We've got really great mods in there. It's just a ton of fun. And me and Jason are in there and active too. Also, we love hearing your nerd outs. They're one of our favorite things. But we also know that you have a lot of great theories so if you want to share them nerd outs will now also be a place for you to share your theories favorite shows movies comic books That's books right. any theory you've got send them to us send your tin foiliest fan theories in a two minute or less voice memo to x-ray at crooked.com and we will discuss the ones that really spark our imagination on the show and it doesn't matter if it's a show that's not on the air right now. Yeah. If it's out of season, it's House of the Dragon. We're passing, you know, we're waiting for season two. It could be anything that you want. If, if you it's love the it, we want to hear you it. Have, we want to hear it. Five star reviews. We love them. We need them. We got to have them. Leave us the five star reviews wherever you can leave reviews. Here's one from Music My Refuge. Look forward to listening every Friday. Jason and Rosie are the best. Super knowledgeable on all things us nerds love, but they're able to talk about it in a fun, personable, and inclusive way. Thank you Thank so you. much. That's what we try Music to do. Music My Refuge. That is what we try to do. And we'll see you next week. 
X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.